Today we're going to be talking about, uh, it's complicated, it's our new series, it's complicated, love, sex, and marriage, and uh, we're really talking all about relationships. And the truth is, relationships change everything. They can make everything better. Like, for instance, picture yourself at a restaurant, you're eating uh, dinner all by yourself, you know, at dinner hour, and you're kind of sitting there, or you can be eating with friends and telling stories as the sun sets. Or picture a football game. Anyone here like football? Any football fans in here? Yeah. So you can, you can watch a football game like all by yourself, just kind of alone in your house. Or you can watch it with a group of friends and you're cheering about the game-winning touchdown. I want you to think about the holidays. Uh, any Christmas fans in here? People who love Christmas? Yeah. So Christmas, like you're drinking hot cocoa and it's this miracle Christmas where it snowed in Texas. But not so much where we lost all water and power and heat. Just that right Christmas amount of snow. And the person who loves us gets the perfect present. We didn't even know that we wanted. But now we know our life would be incomplete without it. Or sometimes with relationships, we have that Thanksgiving where you're having the family dinner and someone says something and everyone buckles up. You know what I mean? Have you ever been at that dinner before? I have. So someone says something that's like, okay, this is about to get tense. This is about to get real. And it gets really, really complicated. I don't have to tell you that relationships are complicated. You know that. I don't have to tell you relationships matter a lot. You think about them a lot. In fact, as a pastor, so much of what I do, meet people for coffee, meet people for lunch, and what we talk about those coffees and lunches is relationships. And I usually walk them through four checkpoints in their relationships to really see what's going on there. And so I'm going to talk you through those four checkpoints today. And the big idea is this. We need to look at those checkpoints and see where we're healthy and where we're not. Because what I want to do is I want to show you four biblical ways to repair any relationship in your life. Any single one. Now, I'm not saying it will for sure, but I believe that it will. And listen, One Chapel, even if it doesn't, I believe your relationships deserve you giving every single godly effort that you can. Okay? And so, that's what we're going to talk about today. But before, oh, thank you, brother. Before we talk about this, give this guy a hand. (laughs) Paul, good job, man. (laughs) He's on it. Okay, so I want to get a pulse check of the room, something we've never really done here before. We're going to try an actual interactive question. So if you would, go ahead and take out your phone. Take out your phone. It's okay. You can have your phone in church. All right, and then we're going to build up this. And so if I'm honest, I feel surrounded by a healthy community of family and friends, or I wish I had a deeper friendship and community around me. And so go ahead, scan that QR code. Scan it, scan it. Everyone have it scanned? Okay, people are still scanning. Okay, scan that QR code and go ahead and answer that question. If I'm honest, I feel surrounded by a healthy community of family and friends, or I wish I had a deeper friendship and community of those around me. Okay? Still see a few of you scanning. And so what I want you to do is just be really honest. We're in church. We're not going to track this. I have no way to know how you answered. But go ahead and answer that question. All right, we can go ahead and go to the next slide. And so if you would, we're going to go to the next slide, and you're going to see the answer to that question. And I think there's two types of things. Like one, okay, do we feel like I really have this strong-rooted friendship? Or do we feel like, ah, I'm... I see other people, I'm scrolling through Instagram, I'm scrolling through different things, and I see people. And so here's what we do. 59% feel surrounded by a healthy community of family and friends. 41% wish I had a deeper friendship and community around me. That's this room. That's not a made-up stat. That's actually, look around. Look at the person to your right. Look to the person to your left. That's this room. That's how they answered. 
And so you're thinking like, oh, how do people answer? Here's what I love about this stat. What it says is, okay, there's a strong core of us that feel like, all right, we have a deep, uh, healthy community of friends. And then there's a little less than half of us that feel like, I wish I had more deeper friendships. This is group Sunday, which means if you're on this side, the blue side, you need to find people on the pink side right over there and invite them into it. Like have groups, have friendships. Like we need to, this needs to be a place where if you're looking for deeper community, you can find that deeper community. I am telling you, I moved from Colorado to Texas. Now people are asking me why. Like in Colorado, there are amazing mountains. In Texas, <laughs> struggle fest mountains. In Colorado, the summers are nice and crisp and cool. In Texas, my flip-flops start to melt on the pavement. Why did I move here? Because I love this church and I love this community and it was the best decision of my life because I believe in this church and I believe in this place. And so many else are like, okay, I'm taking that risk. But we all have to every single day take a risk of community and, and relationships. And what I want to talk about today are four, everyone say four, four ways to be healthy in your relationships and four ways that we're actually kind of naturally unhealthy. And so to really make this stick, I want to have uh, my two volunteers, uh, Jansen and Peachy. Will you guys come on up? Okay, so you guys come on up, get in your spots, and um, I'm going to have them illustrate this real quick. And so, Peachy, I'm going to start with you. Go ahead, and um, I think there's two natural impulses with everything when it comes to relationships, two natural impulses. And the first impulse is this right here. So the first impulse is this right here. Go ahead and put those on. (laughs) This is the first impulse, which this is not, I'm not saying it's the devil. I'm actually saying your first impulse in a relationship is what I call your inner two-year-old. Now, I love two-year-olds. They're amazing. They're made in God's image. They're so beautiful. But if we're honest, two-year-olds can be a little bit of jerks, okay? And so this is your inner two-year-old, which, and I, and I picked Peachy because he's the nicest person in the world, if you don't know Peachy, and so he can take it. But this is your inner two-year-old, which is if any relational decision, you naturally want to go over here to this thing here. This is your natural impulse of what you want to have happen in a relationship. The Bible talks about it as your flesh. So this is, I'm not talking about the devil. I'm actually just talking about your flesh, that sort of impulse here. And then on this side over here, you knew it was coming this right here and I'm not saying Jansen's an angel if you know Jansen you know that's not true <laughs> but, I, but I do love Jansen Riles very very much and I'm saying this right here is the biblical idea this is the serving way this is the gospel centered way of responding to relationships and so in all of your relationships you have the choice to respond like this and your inner two-year-old or to respond like this in your angel your good person okay give Jansen and Peachy a big hand <laughs> yeah you can just leave that right there on the table I'm gonna get back to this and so there's, there's two ways to respond with every relationship. Every day you have a choice to listen to your impulses or choose life in your relationship. I've seen a case study of this. I mean, I have four kids. I've seen the way that they interact, and we can interact very selfishly or we can choose life. So I want to get into it the four ways. The first way is the natural impulse, which is selfishness destroys relationship. Selfishness destroys relationships. James 4 says this. 
What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Everything breaks down because of our self-centeredness. One guy described it this way. In my first year of marriage, my wife used to bring me my slippers and the dog came parking. Now, my dog brings me my slippers and... My wife comes barking. Yeah, you, you, you know how that's going to go. And so that guy needs counseling, by the way. So we're going, and we have this natural self-centeredness, this natural self-centeredness in all of our relationships, okay? And our friendships, we're like, ah, I'm gonna, I don't really want to drive all the way. That seems like too much work. Even to our families, it's like, ah, I'm going to be a little bit more selfish. In our marriage, it's like, okay, I'm thinking about what I want with our friendships and all these areas of our life, even our sex life. We're like, ah, I'm going to be really, really selfish in these different areas. This is the natural impulse. This is the two-year-old within us, okay? And so it's there, and the book of James warns against this. The truth is, we're selfish in all of our relationships. I am you are. It's the thing we battle all the time. Proverbs talks about it like this. It says, selfishness only causes trouble. So, if selfishness destroys relationships, well, what does it look like in the other impulse? The biblical response is this. Selflessness builds relationships. Selflessness builds relationships. What does selflessness mean? It means a little less of me and a little more of you. Philippians 2 says this. Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. That's what I love about this church family. That's what I've seen in church my whole life. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. I've been in churches around the world. And what I love is when we become a place where we're like, hey, when I'm happiest is when I'm looking out for someone else's interest, not just my own, not just what I'm looking for. And what I love about selflessness is this. Selflessness brings out the best in others. Selflessness will actually build your relationships. In fact, if you start acting selfless in a relationship, it forces the other person to change. Because we're not the same person anymore, and they can relate to you in a different way. With your family, you can say, okay, family, uh, I'm going to do different things. I'm going to, like, where do you want to go eat after lunch? With your mom, like, FaceTime your mom, FaceTime your grandma, like, like, FaceTime the people in your life. Like, like, I don't really feel like it. Develop those relationships. In your family, develop those relationships. In your friendship, be selfless. Like, make the extra effort. Think about, like, okay, how can I serve the other person? Be selfless in that sort of way. With sex, I'll let Ross talk about that next week. But uh, <laughs> selflessness not only transforms the relationship, it also transforms the person. Okay? This is what I love about it. Here's how the scriptures say it. Galatians 6. Verse 8 says this, and this is a big idea. I want you to pay attention to this passage. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life and eternal life. You see, this is very, very important. The universe is built on this idea. The Bible talks about it all throughout scriptures of this idea of sowing and reaping. If you plant criticism, if you're critical, people are going to be critical of you. If you're selfish in your relationships, people are going to be selfish back. If your relationships are broken, you should start looking in the mirror and say, okay, not what's wrong with them. Where does it start with me? 
And this is, and this is not Rob Stenton telling you this. It is. But it's also God. This is in the scripture that's telling you these big ideas. You see, whatever you're going to sow, you're going to reap back. So let's really break down this passage. Here's what it says. One, respond to God, not to what others do. So if you want to plant good seeds, you plant in response to God. Because part of the reason we don't plant good seeds is because everyone else around us is acting like inner two-year-olds as well. And so we're like, okay, if they're going to act like that, then I'm going to be even worse. And it goes to the lowest common denominator. Have you seen that lately? To where someone does something and it brings out something worse and it downward spirals all the way down? We have to stop this downward spiral one, Chapel. We have to, and it stops with us. It starts with our words, with our actions, with our heart. Here's the idea. God rewards selflessness. You'll get real life here. You're going to get life here and rewards in heaven. Why does God like to sweeten the pot like that? Well, God has wired the universe so that the more unselfish you are, the more he blesses you. Selfish, like, like living over here in the halo world, it's not natural to be like, okay, I'm going to lay my life down, I'm going to be not selfish. But I feel so much better all the time when I actually act in this way, this selfless way, when I actually make the decision. And I'm pulled over here of like, ah, I want to be selfish, ah, I want to do this. But when I actually like, no, I'm in charge of my life, I'm in charge of my decisions, I'm in charge of the way of the response, and I have the God and the creator of heaven and earth to give me the strength that's not going to live over here, but no, I'm going to speak life. I'm going to be life-giving. I'm going to bring hope into the world. God has put that inside each and every one of you, and you have to believe that, and you have to walk in that, and you have to live in that. Preaching today, man. God wants you to become like him, unselfish. This This is the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus himself said, only those who learn to give their lives away will ever know what it means to really live. This is Jesus who had lived through eternity a thousand lifetimes, and he's like, listen, you're not going to get it. You can do the same thing over and over again. Some of you are living in traps. Some of your family members are living in traps, and you're going to know what it means to live when you give your life away. Promise you that. All right, number four, selflessness is a growth process. Letting God's spirit do growth work in him, harvest a crop of life and eternal life. So what's, what I love about selflessness is at first, it's really hard. You're drawn over this way. You're like, ah, I'm really here. But the more that you actually act in this way, the more selfless you get, the more you flex that muscle, the more it becomes natural to where you're like, gross. I don't want to live over here. I want to live on this side over here because I know, I know the fruit that this brings and I know the life that this brings over here. Okay, so we have to have that and we grow in these things. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not pixie dust and all of a sudden you're like, oh, the selfless fairy came and I'm fixed and I just want to be selfless all the time. It's not how it works. I don't know why I just hopped like that. That was weird. But we can be selfless. We can be people who, and this is so countercultural. It's so countercultural the way marketing is. It's so countercultural the way we're taught every single day. Here's big idea number two. Everyone say number two. Number two, pride. Pride destroys relationships. This is a big one. Proverbs 13.10 says pride leads to argument. Pride, you know, pride shows up in a lot of different ways. It shows up in criticism when you're critical of other people. If you tend to be judgmental, if you tend to look down at other people, if you tend to be a picky perfectionist, you have a pride problem. And here's the, here's the thing with pride. The problem with pride is it's self-deceiving. 
Everyone else can see it. So if I'm prideful, all of you in this room can see it, but I can't see it myself. That's the tricky thing about pride. Proverbs 16 says this, pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to what? Ruin. Leads to ruin. These are big, big stakes. First the pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall is how the message says it. C.S. Lewis, who is an author who I read, I actually read him when we do our prayer series and our 21 days of prayer, and I I love to read Mary Christianity to like set my heart straight. And C.S. Lewis calls pride the great sin because it's the one sin that actually is the sin of Satan. This is the one sin where Satan was like, hey, I'm going to be elevated so God can be put down. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. I'm going to read that one more time because it's an incredible quote from Mere Christianity. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. You see, pride is this thing where it's like, okay, I know I'm right. I know I can do right, but it almost always leads into problems. And like, for me, luckily, I don't struggle with pride very much because I'm so amazing. I'm so awesome. But there have been a moment or two, like, I, there's this one story that I want to tell real quick, which is, like, it's my favorite Parsley Brothers story, which we were doing a big uh, Christmas show, and so we were there, and we wanted to do, like, a fun Disney song in the middle of the snow show, so I actually, like, convinced Brent Parsley to go and get dressed up like a crab, and he was going to go, and we're going to do a fun number for the kids, which was, like, sing under the sea to the whole, this was at our, our old church at New Life, and there was, like, 5,000 people in the auditorium we were like, okay, we're going to sing sing this song to everyone there. And so we go, and then we're doing the final dress rehearsal the night before. We're doing that rehearsal, and it's just like not really working. We can't get everything in sync. And so Ross and I told Brent, like, hey, you just need to go and like play, like we're going to like track your voice, and we'll just hit play, and then it'll go. And Brent's like, so I'm not actually going to sing. We're like, no, we're just going to hit play. And he's like, listen, this is a bad idea. And we're like, Brent, stop being prideful you're going to be fine. This is going to work. And so we go and it's opening night of the show. And I mean, it's a packed out auditorium. He gets there and he's dressed like a big, like Disney crab kind of walking out on stage and he's there. And then all of a sudden the music starts and it's like, the, we have a live orchestra, 50 person orchestra, like all the way there in the balcony. Brent's there's a crab. He's walking out. And then right away I knew it. The track was a little bit off of the timing. And so it just sounded like a cat being tortured as it's walking out there's like you know like uh, but he but he's not singing. He can't do anything. So it's just a track playing. So he has to just act all happy like under the sea. And it's just like it is going so so bad. And so I'm standing there and I, I remember I was standing next to Johnny again and I was like there and we were both like oh man, he is bombing out there. Like it is so bad. He is dying. What I didn't know was I was actually the host of the show, so I was wearing a little headset mic. <laughs> and everything that I was saying was going into his in-ear monitor. <laughs> so no one else could hear it, but he could hear it. And so he's like, under the sea. And I was like, oh, he is dying out there. Under the, and I was like, stink town population Brent. You know, like, <laughs> like it was just so bad. And so then he goes and then finally goes and he gets off stage. And I was like, oh, man, great job. That was awesome. <laughs> And he takes his little crab claws and throws them down and like scuttles off. (laughs) He hates when I tell that story. Uh, 
My point is this, I was so confident. It was like, no, this is the right answer. We're gonna do the right thing. Ross was the same way, we were so confident. But we saw like, okay, we didn't listen and that pride came before a spectacular crash. So pride destroys relationships. I had to spend a long time becoming, <laughs> to build my friendship back up with Brent. On the other hand, humility, humility builds relationships. Listen to these five things that build a relationship in 1 Peter. Live in harmony, that's one. Be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, be humble. That's an incredible verse. One more time, 1 Peter 3.8. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, be humble. Those are five, character- five characteristics, but the fifth one really hit me. Be humble. This is what we want to be doing in our families, in our relationships, We want to have harmony and be sympathetic with each other. We want to have compassion and be humble. So are you and I growing in humility? Are we really doing this? Philippians 2.3 says this, Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Think about this. Jesus could have done anything. God could have done anything. But he was completely humble. He was actually there. You know what actually happens at the Last Supper where it's there and we're taking communion and we take communion in remembrance of him? The other thing he said to do in remembrance of him was actually to wash people's feet. And so this is physically at the time, it's metaphorically. What it means is we need to go and continually be servants all the time, continuing to like, like washing feet is the most humbling thing that you can do. And so if it's like, okay, I'm not like, if, if there's been a rift in your relationship, rift in friendship, and it's like, I don't want to reach back out, they should do it first. They should make the first move. It's like, no, let go of your pride and heal that relationship. Your relationship is more important than your pride. I want you to understand that. This is the big idea. I tend to become like people that I spend time with. So show me your friends and I'll show you your future is what my youth pastor used to say. If you spend time with grumpy people, you're going to get more grumpy. But if you spend time with people who are life-giving, you're going to be more life-giving. And the person who you need to start with is with Jesus. Spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, and just saying, okay, I know naturally that pride is right there, but I'm going to work really hard towards like, all right, I have this humility in me. I'm laying down my life for others, and I'm really getting this big idea. Thing number three is this, lying. Lying destroys relationships. Colossians 3.9 says this, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. A relationship is all about trust. If you, if you lie, you're going to tear down every relationship. If you lie to your friends, if you lie to the person you're dating, if you lie to your wife or to your husband, if you lie to your kids, if there's some sort of lie that's into your relationship and there's some sort of thing that's not being said, not being talked about, a secret that's there, if there's that thing, there's going to be a gap and a chasm in any relationship where there is a lie. We have got to tear that down. How do we do that? Honesty. Honesty builds relationships. Proverbs 12.22 says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but delights in people who are trustworthy. So we want to be honest. And why are we not honest sometimes? Well, we're scared that someone will reject us. We're scared we've hurt someone else, but instead we just lean away. And, and now I'm not just saying to be brutally honest. Like a lot of people, people will go and just, have you ever had someone who just say something really nasty to you and they're like, hey, I was just being honest. Caca, stop it. <laughs> 
That is like, like honesty, the biblical call of honesty does not give you right to be a jerk and to be unconsiderate. But what you can do is you can actually use me language. It's kind of the idea. And so Jesus talks about this. Take out the plank in your own eye before you take out the speck in someone else's. So if there's honesty that you feel like you need to have in a relationship, start with yourself. Like say maybe, hey, hey, uh, dear, when you made that joke, <laughs> I'm just making up a story right now. When you made that joke at the party, uh, you were a jerk, you were nasty, this is what you always do, I hate when you do that. That's the you language. That's going to tear down the relationship. That's that brutal honesty. And so instead, kind of speak in the way of like, hey, when you made that joke in the party, I know you probably didn't mean anything, but it cut. It kind of hurt a little bit. And I know that's not what you want to do to me in our relationship. And so I would just love to ask if you can think about that again. Think about ways to be there. And so what happens is, if you can be honest about that hurt in your relationship, you actually are able to build that relationship back. There's not that gap. There's not that chasm. But then you're also not attacking. And so it takes real, real effort and thought to be honest in a way that is empathetic and doesn't attack. And if you pray, if you read the scripture, if you process it in your group, this is part of the reason that I want you to be in a group is because you can talk about these difficult relationships, not in a gossipy way, but in a way that actually says, hey, I'm struggling with this in my relationship. How do we actually build this thing back up? But use that honesty in your relationship. Final thing I want to talk about is, number four, insecurity destroys relationships. Proverbs 29 says this, the fear of human opinion disables. The fear of human opinion disables. So why am I so insecure, what you think about me? Well, we're afraid because a lot of times we feel like someone's trying to control us. That destroys relationships. And it's an amazing dilemma as human beings. We long to be close, but we also fear being vulnerable. I'm going to say that again. We long to be close, but we also fear being vulnerable. And so what's the problem with insecurity? Well, one, insecurity prevents intimacy. You can't be close to someone if there's that fear in the relationship. If you're like, ah, what, I don't know, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? What are they going to think? We have to let that side. Instead, be in a situation where you say, you know what? I'm committed to this relationship regardless. Whether we get along or not, we're going to make this thing work. That goes with friendships. Like, man, find those friendships that are really deep and profound and meaningful. That goes with your marriage. That goes with your kids. That goes with people that you work alongside with. Find a way to really invest in those things. And part of that is, is just saying, okay, I'm not going to be insecure. Like, oh, because this is what happens. And I got to confess to you, I felt this over the last year or two. Like, I start being a friend. I'm like, oh, it's starting to go wrong again. This friendship's going to turn out wrong again. Oh, this group is weird again. Not, not my group, not my current group, but my old group. This group is weird again. It's going to happen again. Oh, this church is weird again. It's going to happen again. Oh, whatever that thing is, it's like, I, I have that insecurity. I lean into that insecurity, and I run away again. I've seen a culture of people who every time it gets tough, runs away. We need to be the people who run towards relationships. You got to be the brave one. Everyone else out there is flaky, but you. You are the good, brave, strong one, okay? You have to start there, all right? I'm not really saying that, but you have to take ownership of like, all right, I have to be the one who's not going to be insecure, but actually have that courage to breathe life into my relationships. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here to the last point. Actually, let me read this verse, uh, Galatians 3.10. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. 
This is this idea of like, okay, we do something wrong. We make this hurt in a relationship. This is the very foundation. What are they talking about? Adam and Eve and God. And so it's all right. When we do something wrong, we feel guilt and we feel shame. And that makes us feel insecure. But what we need to do is we, we fear rejection so many times. And maybe you have been hurt by someone who rejected you. But I have good news. If there's anyone who understands rejection, it's Jesus himself. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected, what it feels like to be hurt. Eric, come on up. And so this is the last big idea today. Love. Everyone say love. Love Love builds relationships. Are you tracking with me? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? This is so important. Love builds relationships. 1 John 4 says this. Love is no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it shows that his love has not been perfected in us. So how does this work? How does love expel fear? Well, it takes the focus off of you and it puts the focus on them. In any relationship, any place you feel nervous and insecure, what you can do is you you can focus on the other person, not focus like, what's going to go wrong with me? How am I going to feel? But instead say, okay, I'm going to focus on other people around me. I'm going to focus on loving them and taking them care of them. How do we find that power to focus on other people? Where do you do it? Like, Rob, okay, you're telling me, all right, I got to stop thinking about myself. How do I find this? How do I find this strength? I want you to understand this one idea this morning. Realize how much God loves you. Realize how much God loves you. When you have that perspective of like, okay, I don't have to find my self-worth. If you look for your self-worth in all sorts of different relationships, you may start feeling worthless. Because you're thinking like, oh, why are they treating me like that? I'm worthless. But the truth is, hurt people hurt people. We're in a world that's gonna, where you're going to be hurt in those relationships. And so your foundation has to be like, you know what? I know that God loves me, and I've strengthened that knowledge, and that strength is going to let me love others. First John 4, 15 says this. All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in him. God is love, and as we live in God, our love grows more and more perfect, so we will not be afraid. I love this word, grows. That means like even if you were today and I'm talking about relationships and you're like, I'm living over here, Rob, like I'm living in all this stuff that's hurting my relationships, or I've hurt some relationships in my life so bad that there's no coming back. That's not the truth. That's not the gospel truth. The truth is there is still time for each and every one of us to grow in the love of God and grow into the relationships that he wants for us. And I really think we cannot do this alone. We must live this out in community. So we have this idea of group Sunday today. It's just an excuse to really go because we have groups on our menu all the time. Spoiler alert, you don't have to find groups on group Sunday. But I know that there's something powerful that's like, okay, I see people in the lobby. I see donuts there. And, and then some of you, as I'm talking about Group Sunday, I know some of you are thinking, ah, Rob, I've tried groups before. It just doesn't work. That's this part here. That's your inner toddler that's saying, ah, it just is not going to work. It's not okay. Stop it. Put the inner toddler aside for today and say, you know what? I'm going to be bold one more time, and I'm going to lean into community. If you're not sure where to start, like, okay, I'm going to go to Catalyst, and I'm going to find a group of people that I can pray with and listen to and hear their stories and share my stories. Relationships are always worth the effort. Not because they will turn out exactly like you think they should or want them to, but because it's the only internal thing that we have. 
We're not going to take our stuff. We're not going to take our possessions, anything else, but we will take our relationships. So I'd love, we're going to dismiss in just a moment here, and I'd love for you to go find a group out there, meet someone, invite someone to your group, be the brave and courageous one, and this week, go start building in groups and community.